Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. The number is at least 10,000. And if this was a bad idea last May... When the governor announced it, it's an even worse idea now. What am I talking about? I'm discussing the decision that the governor and his state Department of Transportation made last May to allow young drivers, people under the age of 18, 16 and 17, to automatically get their driver's licenses without having to do a road test. All you need to do is have completed driver's education and then have your parents sign off on it and you get to drive. Remember when they did that back in May, early May, and the justification was, well, we're at the height of the COVID pandemic and we can't expect that uh, new drivers come in and get road tested. And so we're just going to give them their driver's licenses and it won't be a problem. There's nothing to worry about here. Well, that was in May. Here we are in March of 2021, and that is still the policy. And I think it's bad policy. Let me share with you an email I received the other day from from somebody who's involved in, again, drivers testing and teaching this. Jeff, I remember back in May, you talked on your show about how Wisconsin was going to start waiving road tests for teen drivers. I am a driving instructor in the Milwaukee area, and I am dealing this with this waiver now. It's set to expire May 26, but I imagine it could get extended. I wanted to reach out because I had not heard anyone discuss this since last May, and I don't think that most of the public is aware that the waiver is still going on, and our state is just handing out driver's licenses. All right, he said, I wrote a letter to the DOT about the waiver, and I want to include some excerpts. The students, now this guy's a driving instructor, the students who tell me they are taking the waiver, not a single student has told me that they're doing it for fear of contracting COVID-19. The entire reason why the waiver is still in place nine months later. The students I talk to tell me they're glad they don't have to take the test because now they won't be stressed about it. Or my favorite is... Well, they wouldn't have had time for the test. People made time for road tests for decades prior to COVID. I'm sure these kids would have managed. The road test is typically 15 minutes long. My overall point with this asinine aspect of the waiver is that no one is grateful for the very reason why the waiver was put in place at all. COVID is not on any of these students' minds. The waiver is viewed as a savior for them, not a savior from a health standpoint, which is what it's supposed to be, but a savior in that they get a free pass on the driver's license. Some have even laughed at me about how easy it is. They are in disbelief that one literally needs Needs to do nothing to get his or her driver's license. Sure, they must complete driver's education, and I do my best to ready them for the test that ultimately never happens, but completing driver's education is just that, a completion. There's no grading or passing. They just get it done. Now, here's where it gets really interesting, and this is again from the emailer. According to a Department of Transportation administrator, since the waiver began in May, through December 7th. So it's been going on, I mean, again, for like going on nine months, but here's just May through December. Since in that period, that window, 
there were 31,438 people who took the waiver. This is roughly the combined total population of Muskego and Hales Corners. Department of Transportation officials attempt to reinsure and comfort us by saying that in 2019, 71% of students passed the road test on their first attempt. Using those statistics, then, it is safe to say that if we take the number of students who took the waiver and applied that 71% figure from 2019, so let's assume that 71% of the people who took that waiver would have passed the test, he says, well, that still means that there's another 9,117 students who fail, would have failed on their first attempt who are on the roads legally right now. And again, that, that number cuts off in, as of December 7th. So here we are, December, January, February, March, 90 days later. My guess is, my guess is that's probably at least 10,000. By if it was if you use those same statistics, you probably got at least ten thousand kids who are on the road right now with a driver's license who would have failed the test had they been required to take it. Our number eight five five six one six one six twenty. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If we are going to decide that there, there's no need to take a test, that we're just going to give everybody driver's licenses after they've completed their, their driver's education thing. That's fine. Let's have that discussion. But using COVID as an excuse at this point in time to not require kids to take the driver's license tests, the actual on-the-road stuff, I think is absurd. 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Not only should this not be extended past the end of May, I think they should cancel this right now. It was a bad idea, and if you look at the numbers of kids who are taking it, like I say, it's not too much of an extrapolation to think that there's probably at least 10,000 people with driver's licenses right now who would have failed their tests. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This, this I admit, is somewhat obscure, but I believe it was a bad idea when they did it in May. This is saying to new drivers, you no longer have to take a road test. We're just we're going to, if you've completed driver's ed and your parents sign off on it, you get your driver's license. And again, extrapolating some numbers, the guess is, I think it's fair to say that there's about 10,000 people on the road right now, 16 and 17-year-olds, who would not have passed their driver's test. And as this emailer to me says, who's a driving instructor, he talks to the kids, and nobody's got a concern about COVID. I mean, seriously, I mean, you mean to tell me that you couldn't put a mask on and the instructor wear a mask and they couldn't be in the car? 855-616-1620. Jeff, a 17-year-old that works for me, who has no business being on the road driving, just got her license and said she only got it because she knew she could. She knew that she would never be able to pass an actual road test. Well, um, sure, um, exactly. Jeff, insurance companies must know. Our insurance went up $3,000 adding our son onto our policy who got his license via the road test waiver. That's 2000 more than each of our other sons cost to add on via 
the traditional road test. Jeff, this is just another excuse um, from uh, from the Governor Evers lockdown. Um, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Jeff, I disagree with you. I think this is a great idea. They shouldn't have a driver's test ever. They should complete driver's education with the teachers giving grades or a point system every time they drive. If they get enough point driving, then the instructors get the ability to have their parents okay their kids. All right, well, let me stop there. If that's if we really think that that's the case, do we really think that the roads are going to be safer? Do you really want to get away and do away with the road tests? Well, then do away with the road tests. But but to use COVID as an excuse to do it, I also think it's silly to do away with the road tests, especially given these numbers that about three out of every 10 kids who take the road test fail the road test. Now, when they go back and take it a second time, the pass rate goes up. But three out of every 10 who take it can't pass the road test. So what does that tell you? But regardless, if you want to say, let's get a, do away with the road test, that, that's fine. And, and then let's have that discussion in the legislature. But to use COVID as an excuse to continue to not require people to take the road test, I, I think that's putting us all at risk. Bob in Greendale. Bob, you're on WTMJ. My thoughts are similar to yours, too, that they're not wanting to avoid the road test due to COVID because yeah. look at all the uh, young people going for it or going to get their driver's license that is still carrying on their lifestyle sure. regardless of the risk of COVID. Yeah, right. They're still driving. They've and, got their uh, licenses. You're right. They're, they're driving. You know, in many cases, you know, they're back to in-person school things. You mean to tell me, you know, if, if we're if we're having in-person schooling, for example, you can't sit in a car for 15 minutes wearing a mask and prove that you know how to drive? Yep. It's, it's ridiculous. And the other thought would be uh, to uh, get get the waiver as a condition of employment travel needs or something like that. Right. No, well, right. Thanks, thanks for calling. I mean, I guess it's, I mean, oh, here's another text. Jeff, I agree that the waiver should be canceled now. I think it was a good idea at the very beginning as the DA, the DMV was not allowing in-person tests. I signed off on the waiver for my son. I felt they made a responsible decision in doing so and that I had taken my son out driving. But then they go on that, uh, you know, and it goes on to say, okay, this is, that was last May. And, and now we're sitting here in March. It's 90 days later. We have returned in many respects to a large large sense of normalcy. And I'm not saying we're completely back to normal, but the DMVs are starting to open up. And again, if you go back and you use the numbers that I extrapolate to, and it turns out that, again, we've got 9,000, 10,000 people who are on the road who couldn't pass their tests. What what does that tell you? All right, let's talk to uh, Dell in West Dallas. Dell, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Um, I, I... don't know really why this ever was a thing. Um, just my my two cents would be when you do a motorcycle test, you use a radio and a helmet. And you could use radios to do it. And for like Uber and Lyft, we still do that. Mm-hmm. People wear masks in the, in the vehicle and, and we still manage to get it done. And yeah. Nobody's claimed that there's been a lot of transmission of COVID, you know, in, in Uber and Lyft rides. So yeah. I, I don't really understand why this was ever a thing. We if if there's a will, there's a way, and if there's a kid really determined and a really good driver, you know, they'll they'll be able to do this. Now I understand maybe 
you allow some kind of a doctor's written permission. I don't know, maybe an extra hoop to jump through. But I think for the most part, you still should have to do a driving test. It I, you, just seems crazy to me not to. Well, right. No, exactly. I mean, th- thanks for calling. I mean, it, it, exactly. And uh, again, look, I understand that, that most people pass the test. I mean, the number of the, the guy who was sending me the email said it, it was like 71% pass on their first time. All right. And, and that, that's, that's a good number. But that means about 30% are failing. And those 30% of the people who have gone through driver's education, but it's really just, hey, you, you've taken the driver's education and you've taken some time on the road doesn't mean doesn't mean that you know how to drive at all it doesn't mean that you can prove you can drive and my guess is of that 30 percent that fail it there's some people that fail it spectacularly that spectacularly and and they they've got their driver's licenses and doesn't that concern anybody and they're going to keep their their driver's license and we're going to continue to get this and the justification again is covid and i ask this sincerely do you really believe especially the last six months, that any of these kids who are putting in for the waivers, that they're really concerned, oh, gee, I, I'm, I'm worried about COVID. Well, of course not. They're participating in activities. They are just viewing this as the opportunity to get their driver's license without having to go through the, the stress of the actual road test. Let's talk to Dave in West Dallas. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Hello there, Jeff. Hi, Dave. Hi, uh... This is my personal feeling on it. When I was 16, I passed the first time. Uh, I'm 50 years old, and I just think it's the safety reasons. You know, driving driving is a privilege, not a right. And I just feel like uh, uh, wearing a mask shouldn't be that bad of a problem because it's all all over the place. So that's just how I feel about it. Yeah. Well. Well. Right. I mean, I, look, you're talking to a guy who I got my driver's license the day I turned 16. I mean, I, I, I remember that my, my Christmas present from my parents is I, I took it. I took my driving stuff at a, um, at, a, at one of the private academies, Arcade. I don't even know if Arcade still does, but I always remember that. And so the, the day I turned 16, went into the DMV, scheduled the road test, passed the road test, have never looked back. So I understand it's really cool. I get why kids want this. But, I mean, I think it's reasonable to say pass the road test. And this idea that, well, 7 out of 10 pass it so we don't have to worry about the other 30%. No, Governor Evers. That's the 30%, the ones that can't pass the test that I am most worried about. Jeff, my daughter will be 16 in May and is going through driver's ed now. This is dumbing down driver's ed that I just paid a lot of money for. My daughter will complete her behind-the-wheel training in July. Time will tell if she'll take the road test or not. I'm undecided yet if I would sign off on this. Well, hopefully that option is going to disappear. I mean, hopefully the option is going to disappear. Right now it's supposed to expire in May. There's no reason in the world why it has run this long. And if Governor Evers wants to try to use his broadly based claim emergency power to continue to pit people on the road who otherwise couldn't qualify to be on the road, well, maybe it's another thing that the legislature needs to step in on. Just an update. It hasn't gotten better. It's gotten worse. And it's not changing, at least for the moment. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. This week's sponsor for the Jeff Wagner Home Improvement Showcase, presented by Great Midwest Bank, is the Home Market. Located in Milwaukee's historic Third Ward, the Home Market specializes in custom furniture and unique home accents, bedding, and lighting with a casual but elegant style. 
Find them at shophomemarket.com. When you stop into the store, be sure to say hi to my friend Kate. All right, just just a couple of texts before we move on from the 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 idea of we're, we're going to use COVID as an excuse to not make young drivers prove that they know how to drive. Jeff, I've taught driver's education for 41 years. Just about all students that I've worked with are opting out of the road test. I strongly encourage all students and their parents to take the road test. Well, of course they're opting out of it. I mean, seriously, if you're, if the choice is, hey, I can just have my license given to me, or I have to go in and prove that I actually know how to drive, well, of course you're going to opt out in this. Okay, here, here's a, the text I want to end this point on, because it does underscore, I think, some of the things that you've seen as a result of COVID. Never let a good crisis go by. And, you know, I think we saw it. We talked yesterday about the, the COVID stimulus bill that has all sorts of stuff crammed into it that has nothing to do with COVID. Well, this this is, I think, another example of this, and this kind coming out of the Evers administration. Jeff, I don't, this is the text, Jeff, I don't believe the road test waiver has anything to do with COVID because the behind the wheel that you have to do occur in a vehicle with two other people for two hours. That's way more risk than a 15-minute road test. Also, as the parent who just signed off on a new driver, I find it curious that the DMV refers to this as a pilot program with no mention of COVID. Looks like they're trying to keep the waiver around for a long time. Yeah, see, that's that's the thing. We, we use this idea of COVID. Uh, we're, we're, we, we can't have, like, the kids in the cars with the instructors, even for 15 minutes, wearing masks. Be, so we're going to use COVID as an excuse to not require people to prove that they know how to drive. And then suddenly this all kind of fades away. We're going to forget about COVID. Now this is just this pilot program to do away with road tests entirely. If that's the case, What's happening is the Evers Department of Transportation and the Evers Administration is, in my opinion, endangering us because the last darn thing we need is, given all the really, really bad drivers that are out there, given the fact that you've got people that are driving without licenses or on suspended licenses and driving recklessly, the last thing you need is to be putting thousands and thousands of new drivers on the streets if they don't know how to drive or at least can't prove that they know how to park or stop at a red light or keep in the lanes or whatever it would be that gets you flunked for failing your driver's test. Thank you, Governor Evers. All right, let us switch gears. On Friday's show, we talked to Senator Ron Johnson, did about a 20-minute interview, covered a variety of things. But at, at the end, we had a conversation about whether or not he was going to run again. Let me not bury the lead here. I disagree with Senator Johnson in that I think he owes it to the people of Wisconsin in general, and in particular Republican-leaning voters. I think he owes it to them to make a decision as to whether he's going to run again as soon as possible, and certainly sooner rather than later. When I asked the governor, uh, the, the senator that, and pushed him on it, he said, no, I, I just, I'm on my own timetable. I didn't announce till you know, a few months before I was going to run back in 2010. If I announce now, all that means is that um, consultants make money, and I think campaigns are too long. I, I just... I don't know that I don't know that I disagree with campaigns are too long, but Senator Johnson is doing a huge disservice, I think, to Republican leaning voters by stalling the decision. Now let me go back into this. Yesterday, 
uh, Roy Blunt, who is um, a, a senator from Missouri, who's been around forever, he announced that he was not going to run for re-election. This is now the fifth Republican senator who has declined to run in 2022. Uh, Roy Blunt from Missouri, Bob Portman from Ohio, Pat Toomey from Pennsylvania, Richard Shelby from Alabama, and Richard Burr from North Carolina. These are all senators who I think, in well, with one possible exception, these are senators who kind of ran hot and cold on Donald Trump. And I think, number one, you couple some of the divisions that are there in the Republican Party together with the fact that it's not anywhere near as much fun to be in the Senate when you're in the minority. And, and even though it's 50-50, they are effectively in the minority because Kamala Harris gets to cast the deciding vote. So you have five senators who have already said, we're not running. They have cleared the way. So there's a, these, are, these are seats that... Um, the Republicans can certainly hold. Now, obviously, if you've got an incumbent, there, there's always all sorts of advantages to incumbency. But but the, these are seats that, you know, can, in fact, be held. But here's the deal. It takes a lot of time and effort to build a statewide campaign. Now, maybe if you're independently wealthy, maybe if you're a guy like Alex Lazary and money doesn't matter, well, you, you know, it, you, you don't need advance notice. You don't, you can, you can buy your ground game. You can hire people. You don't have to worry about where the dough is going to come from. But to run a Senate race is a very expensive thing. And to compete in a primary, you know, what you have to do is is you have to go out and you have to enlist supporters and you have to raise money and you have to go and I, I think you've got to do some retail politics at all as well. And the, the more time you have, the better. If, for example, a senator doesn't make a decision on re-election until the last moment, what you've done is you've significantly narrowed the field of available candidates, people who can't come out and, you know, go to the Lincoln, well, the Lincoln Day dinners are passed, but can't spend the summers, you know, going around to the different county fairs or the falls going around to the, in the fall going around to the dairy breakfast. They can't get out and meet the constituents. Right now, Ron Johnson pretty much has Republican candidates on hold waiting for his decision. That's his right. But he needs to make a decision sooner rather than later. He said he wasn't going to run for a third term. I, that, that's not it's like I'm not a binding promise. If he feels that he wants to run again, that that's fine. And people will support him at the same time. If he decides he's not going to run, he needs to get out of the way. And just like. Roy Blunt did yesterday in Missouri, I think he needs to make that decision and announce the decision in the very near future so you can see who it is that's out there that might decide to jump into the race. 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Should Ron Johnson run again, and should he make the decision as soon as possible and announce that decision as soon as possible. I think he owes that to the voters of Wisconsin. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I mean, I, I've said this before. I, I think the senator was very, very clear in announcing the two terms was going to be his limit. I would like to see him live up to that promise. I think 
because he's become such a lightning rod, I think it's going to be an extremely difficult re-election bid, which isn't to say that I won't support him if he runs again. But regardless, I think he's got to make that decision, especially if he thinks he's not going to run again. He should say it. Clear the way and let some other candidates emerge. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Okay, what should Senator Johnson do, and when should he do it? We discuss. Back to take your calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Eric in Hales Corners. Eric, you're first. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. How are you? Good. What do you think? Well, I see your point, uh, but I, I look at it this way. Maybe it is good strategy for Ron Johnson to wait as long as possible because it affects the Democrats. It, it doesn't give the Democrats a clear target of who they're going to run against, and it might um, change who they decide to run as well. So maybe it's a, a good strategy to wait as long as possible, well, even if he's not running. Well, my well, again, like if again, if he's running, it becomes academic, you know, because he's going to be the right. candidate. But I guess what what I would say is I think that there's a whole group of Republican candidates that are out there who would be interested. They're not going to challenge Ron Johnson, but they would be interested if there was a a vacancy. And for with with one or two exceptions, I mean, a couple of them are probably independently wealthy. You know, it doesn't matter. They they can get in at the race at any point in time because they're they're going to write a check for, you know, a few million dollars, just like Alex Lazary is. But there's other candidates. So I think would be really good who aren't independently wealthy, who, who need the time to raise money and to raise their profile. And I guess. I would like to see if Ron Johnson doesn't run. I'd like to see it be the broadest group possible. And by, by if, if he's not going to run by getting out of the way early, I think he encourages more people to come into the race. I see your point. I see your point. Uh, I just think it's it's possible that that it could also hit him him staying him not telling us what he's going to do could have a negative effect on the Democrats as well. But yeah. Yeah, I do I do see your point. Sure, no, thank, and, I, and I get, I mean, you're, 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 the flip side, what you're, and I understand what you're saying. Thanks. I mean, your, your point is, well, if, if Ron Johnson waits till the last minute, announces he's not running, that, that effectively freezes a lot of potential candidates out because to, to run a, a primary in a U.S. Senate race, it, it takes a lot of money and it takes organization. So if, if he delays a year, or or nine months, you know, he he doesn't announce till the beginning part of next year, and then he says he's not going to run. Well, that that's frozen out a lot of candidates. So I, I understand your point. If if he if he waits, what happens is the Democrats have less time to kind of focus on one candidate. I guess my point is, I don't think if he gets out early, if he's going to get out, I think that you have a wide variety of candidates who are going to run. So you can't really focus on one. And I don't know who. I mean, I honestly don't know who the favorite would, would be, but I know that there's a lot of people who would perhaps, I think, be interested and who would be good, strong candidates and, if given time, could, you know, build this. Uh, here's a couple texts before we go back to the calls. Jeff, no, I, I know he should not. He said he was going to only run for two terms. I think one's words are important. Um, Jeff, I think judging by what he has said and done over the last year, he has lost his comfort. I supported him twice. His compass supported him twice. Won't do it again. I, I do think that 
if if Senator Johnson decides to run again, it is going to be the most competitive Senate race in the country. Um, he he'll he's going to be a lightning rod for a lot of of attacks. Some perhaps justified, some not. Jeff, I think Ron Johnson should not run again. If he does run, I think he would lose. Um, unlike in the past. Uh, Jeff, I think he needs to announce he's not running. Clear the way so Republicans can defeat Lazary or whoever else emerges. Lazary, of course, will have tons of his own and out-of-state money um, pouring in. Clear the way so Republicans have a fresh Republican voted in. I, I do think it would be... I, I think... Again, I understand the senator can decide what to do. I mean, he's on his own timetable. He's not going to listen to people like me telling him that he has to decide before his time. But one of the things that you're seeing with a number of his colleagues, five already, who have decided, look, they're they're not going to run again. And they've already made these announcements. And so now you have in all the cases, I think, you know, you have vigorous Republican primaries that are emerging as you have, you know, a universe of candidates who are thinking about stepping in in maybe a once in a generation attempt to, to try to take a Senate seat. And I, I just think, again, if if Johnson is leaning towards not running like he's kind of been implied, he's implying the sooner you make that decision, I think the better it is for everybody. Marcus on the north side. Hi, Marcus. You're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff, how are you doing today? Real well, thanks. What do you think? Hey, what I think is this, and I agree with you 1,000%. What Johnson is doing is he's trying to take a playbook from Trump, and Trump is not in office anymore. What he's doing is a scorched earth policy, and you see what happened in Georgia and the other Senate seats that were lost. By Johnson not stepping aside, he's not giving fresh blood to the GOP to get other candidates to be viewed, to be seen, and give their fresh ideas to take over the seat, and right. so people won't focus in on him. And by him staying in the race or not or announcing at the last minute, he's not going to be a very popular guy that he thinks he's going to be to win the race. I guarantee. I, I tell you, he will lose by a, a, a long shot. He will definitely lose the race. So he's being selfish by not giving other candidates the opportunity. But by him doing that, he's giving the Democrats. Uh, easy bullseye target to lose the race. Well, Thank I, you. Thanks, well, I mean, I, I think, and again, if if Senator Johnson decides he wants to run for re-election, which is certainly his right, and I, I mean, I actually, when we had a 20-minute conversation on the radio, I, mean, I, I thought he did a, and I'm judging, I got a huge response on the text line and phone calls and things like that. I, I, I mean, I think he did a good job of explaining his various positions. But there's no question he is a lightning rod for controversy. And I also think if he decides he wants to run again, well, he, he needs to say that in, in the beginning. And he needs to start aggressively go into campaign mode right now because I do agree. I think the general sentiment is he's been somewhat tainted by developments of the last year or so. Some of it might be unfair. Some of it might be self-inflicted, but I think he's got to decide one way or the other. And if he's going to run again, he needs to go into campaign mode right away, because every time I turn on the television, I'm, I'm watching all these liberal attack ads on him. That's only going to intensify. So he, he's either got to start aggressively fighting back and be in campaign mode or just decide, hey, I've had two terms. I've accomplished what I've done. Being in the minority is not as much fun. I said I was only going to run twice, and now I'm going to go back and enjoy the rest of my life in Oshkosh or wherever. Here's my favorite text of the day so far. Jeff, I think he should not run again. I think they should let you start your campaign. <laughs> um, a guy can dream. That's what the note says. Well, 
I, I just my 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 wife might have a different thought on that particular situation, but um, that's it. Jeff, um, I hope to God he runs again. He's one of a handful of Republicans holding the corrupt administration accountable. Okay, well that's that that's fine. Then I go back to the point that if he's going to run again, he needs to announce soon. He needs to go into campaign mode, and he needs to recognize that this this isn't 2010. And it isn't 2016 where these were different dynamics. He is now a known quantity. And if he's going to run again, he needs to start combating a lot of the stuff that's out there and try to convince people who who might have voted for him before who might be a little bit turned off. And maybe the media coverage of him has been completely unfair, but he needs to start getting that message out. This is Jeff Wagner. And this is Jeff Wagner, so very glad to have you with us. Well, Thursday is a day. Uh, the Tony Evers administration, Department of Health Services, says that on Thursday, they're going to announce phase 1C of their vaccine rollout. Right now, it's essentially been healthcare workers, teachers can get it, and you know people who are over the age of 65. So they're going to announce a new class of people that can come in and get this. I have argued all along that beyond just you know picking out the people based on the, the, the people in nursing homes and the healthcare workers, we should have been doing this by age, like many states are doing, as opposed to picking and choosing. Gee, is a teacher a more essential worker than the person who's been you know driving the food trucks to supply food stores for the last nine months? So I've been arguing you need to do it by age, but that's not how the Evers administration chooses to do it. In any event, th- this new classification of people that they're going to announce on Thursday, and they haven't said what this is. It's not going to be age-based, but it's going to be people who have underlying health issues, pre-existing conditions. They are going to be eligible, pre-existing conditions that um, would increase the risk of life-threatening complications from COVID-19. Now, I have no idea what this means, but once again, we're we're picking and choosing. So is um, a 62-year-old pre-diabetic person, do, do they stand behind a 40-year-old person who's obese because obesity might have more concerns than the, the pre-diabetes? I, I mean, I don't know. But once again, we're, we're picking and, and choosing in deciding, you know, who has a condition that's going to qualify and who doesn't. I'm sure this is going to be controversial, and we'll talk about it Thursday. Once again, it would have been so much simpler if you just did it like so many other states were doing and just just assigned it based on on age, given the fact that that's one of the big risks. The older you are, the more likely you are to have a severe complication. Stick around. When we come back, what's going on in the border, at the border? Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. I'm sorry, but this is just no way to run a pandemic. And I mentioned this at the end of the last hour, and I've just been swamped with texts about this. The, we, we do not have, as of yet, enough vaccine to go around. So we have to pick who's going to get their shots and who isn't. And the initial decisions were, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to take people over the age of 65 and we're going to take health care workers and we're going to take, you know, uh, 
uh, we take police and firefighters and public safety people, and we're gonna and we're gonna take people who are in the nursing homes and stuff, and we're gonna give them the shots. Oh, okay, and I, I think that makes sense. But now we're getting to a point where we have to start picking winners and losers. My point has always been the easiest, the fairest, and the follow the science way to do it is just to base it on age. Because as a general rule, statistically, the thing you find is that the older you are, the more likely you are to have a a bad result if you get COVID. But that's not how we decide to do it in Wisconsin. And the story, just to go into a little bit of detail, is that starting Thursday, the State Department of Health and Health Services is going to announce the next phase of the rollout, Phase 1C. Now, I think you just do it on age and, and go from there. Phase 1C says that um, here's the deal. They're going to follow guidance from the U.S. Centers for Disease Control that say that people age 16 to 64 with underlying medical conditions that increase the risk of serious life-threatening complications from COVID-19 go to the head of the line. Now, in Wisconsin, they're, they're not saying what those what those underlying medical conditions are. So uh, uh, obesity is a factor. We don't know what they're going to be. But so let's say you've got a, a 25-year-old who is 50 pounds overweight, all right? That that 25-year-old, is that 25-year-old going to go ahead of the line from, from the, like, 62-year-old guy who is in good health? And, and if so, is is that fair? You know, how do you how do you define this? The CDC, by the way, and I don't know if Wisconsin's going to do this, but they also recommend that some essential workers, including people who work in food service, housing, construction and finance, information technology, communications, law and media get to go to the head of the line. OK, so so you've. Now, I don't know that Wisconsin's going to do that. That's just the CDC recommendation. So you mean to tell me like a 26-year-old reporter for a TV station would go to the head of the line skipping in front of the 64-year-old guy? This is the problem with picking winners and losers. And and what is an underlying medical condition? And and how do you handle people who, well, who have had COVID and have recovered from it, but nevertheless still have that underlying medical condition? Let's say diabetes is determined to be one of the underlying medical conditions, which I would assume it's going to be. Okay, so do you have the person who, the the 50-year-old, Who's, who's got treatable diabetes, who's had COVID, who's recovered from it, does that person then skip the line to go ahead of the 63-year-old, again, guy who's been in good health or gal who's been in good health who's been working? It's just it, – it's a situation that I think is untenable picking, you know, winners and losers. Okay, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Rather than doing it this way, wouldn't it have just been so much simpler to say, we're, we're going to do it once once we get past the healthcare workers and the people in the nursing homes, all that, and we'll include law enforcement in it. Wouldn't it just make more sense to say, let's follow the science and let's base it on age instead of saying, okay, we, we've got the 25, the, this is the C DC guideline, the 25-year-old reporter, we're going to let him or her skip ahead of the the 55-year-old guy. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Picking winners and losers in this fashion and trying to decide, okay, what's 
what's a you know what's a sufficient underlying medical condition and, and how far do you go down it is is obesity that is uh, again is, is diabetes that is hypertension that i mean and and how severe does it have to be if you have somebody with controlled diabetes who's you know takes the pills has it under control um th- does that still and and who's had covid does that still let them go to the head of the line 855-616-1620 wouldn't the fairest way have been just to simply do it based on age? We discuss. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. So on Thursday, the state of Wisconsin is going to open up vaccines to another group of people, not apparently based on age, but based on what they're describing as underlying medical conditions. So people ages 16 to 64 with underlying medical conditions that increase the risk of serious life-threatening complications from COVID-19. Now, I don't know what those are going to be, and I don't know if we're going to be talking about the extreme situations like, I don't know, somebody with advanced cancer, or whether more likely it's going to be, well, hypertension or diabetes or things of the like. So if you're a 29-year-old obese male who is a smoker with uh, diabetes, you go to the head of the line in front of that 63-year-old person? I mean, that's why I think you follow the science, and the science says the greatest chance of having a bad reaction is simply age. Wouldn't it have been so much simpler if we just did this by age? Let's talk to Mark in Kenosha. Hi, Mark. Hey, thanks for having me, Jeff. Yes, sir. What do you think? Well, uh, let me preface it by saying I'm a 31-year-old type 1 diabetic, and uh, I feel that, of course, while age is probably the greatest contributing factor, I feel it would be very foolish to only base it off of age uh, because people with, for example, diabetes, they have a a slower and weaker immune system response, especially to uh, diseases like this. So I just don't think it, it makes sense or adds up to only do it based off of a single factor age. I think it would be much better to base it off of multiple factors, age being the biggest one, but those who are most susceptible to a severe reaction to the infection. Now, smoking, you could make the argument that that's something that someone chose to do. Mm-hmm. They choose to put themselves in that higher risk category. And so maybe you don't put them to the head of the line because that's a choice someone makes. But a disease like diabetes is not a choice. It's a diagnosis. Mm-hmm. And I don't feel that you should pay for that just because you're younger. That means you don't get a vaccine versus someone who is 60 but in great health. You but, know? I, but I guess uh, the problem, Mark, is how, 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 do you, how do you balance this out? Do you assign points based on diseases? I mean, how about the type 2 diabetics or how about the people with hypertension? I mean, I guess the, the, the point is how do you decide? Off of a... Go ahead. Yeah, I, I think you have to base it off of uh, the reactions uh, that people have to the disease and go from there. But like I said, uh, disease, a disease like diabetes, mm-hmm. it's not a choice oh. as compared to smoking cigarettes. Uh, that is a choice. So if you've made a life choice to put yourself in a higher risk group, I don't feel that should aid you in getting to the head of the line. But if you do have a legitimate medical condition that puts you in a higher risk group, what, what's the difference? between my risk and someone who's, say, 60, uh, 
but doesn't have diabetes. Well, but see, but see but, but, but I do understand. But, see, but that, that's where the that's where the balancing comes in, and that's where you, you have to decide what's fair across the board. And and look, I I understand if you're a type one diabetic, this isn't going to be a good thing, regardless of what your age is. But if you're you know if you look at the statistics, if you're if you're 62 years old, for example, or 64 years old, you know your statistically your chance uh, of having an adverse reaction is, is much greater than, again, the typical 30-year-old. Now, I appreciate that what you're saying. Hey, what if you've got this underlying condition? Should you get kind of extra points? But but how do you how do you balance that out? Do we decide, okay, well, type 2 diabetes is one thing and type 1 diabetes is other? You, you need to have sort of simplified things. And I, I guess I, I'm looking at this, and a number of texters are making the point. I don't know how you establish that you have an underlying medical condition. I mean, you, you want to talk about something that is fraught with potential abuse i mean what 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 are you going to do so let's say let's say you're you're not getting the vaccine through your your own medical provider you're you know going to a pharmacy you know or or whatever and and they open it up to certain underlying medical conditions okay well what's what is to stop that 30 year old or that 35 year old from coming in and saying hey i have i have hypertension or i'm a type 2 diabetic or i'm a type 1 diabetic i mean it's it, it's it's easy now, i'm just saying that i think this is just fraught with with peril and we're making it so much more difficult than we need to make it let's talk to um dorothy dorothy you're on wtmj Yes, hi. hi. Um, I have twins. One lives in Indiana and one lives here in Greenfield, Wisconsin. They're 50 years old. Uh, the the uh, Indiana son, healthy, very healthy, is getting his vaccination today. They are doing it based on age. They just had to call uh, 211 to get an appointment. Here in Wisconsin, my daughter is on the list that the experts chose because she's the sickest of the sick part of family care, Medicaid, Medicaid family care, and she's on the list number two starting March 1st, but her health care provider, Fraydert, has chosen to skip over that group and go to, to the essential workers. They could be 20 years old or 18 mm-hmm. years old and be an essential worker, very healthy, mm-hmm. and they're going to be getting their vaccination uh, before the sickest of the sick, right? And even if she was based on age, she'd be getting it. Um, so yeah. it is definitely odd that experts make these decisions in our state, and a huge healthcare group like Freighter chooses to ignore it. Yeah, it's well, so and again, it, no, I, I I get it. I think, and I I can't I, I can't explain it, Dorothy, because to me again, the, these things sort of make no sense. And then again, I'm. I, I'm looking at the CDC recommendation for this stage, that this 1C, which is people ages 16 to 64 with underlying medical conditions, and we don't exactly know what that, that's going to be. Um, also, essential workers, including people who work in food service, housing construction, information technology. O- okay, with, with, all, with, with all due respect, I, I mean, if, if, you're, if you're an otherwise healthy 34-year-old who's working at home in IT, why in God's green earth would you go ahead of the line of, in the case of our caller Mark, the you know the 31-year-old who's, again, with, with, the, with uh, type 1 diabetes? Information technology, communications, law, and media. 
law and media. Well, that would include you, Gru, my producer. That would, you know, and again, with all due respect, you know, why should, you know, my 30-something-year-old producer who, who does come in on a daily basis, and I want him to get the shot if he wants it, but why should he jump ahead in line of a 63-year-old who, statistically speaking, if that 63-year-old gets COVID, they're, they're much more apt to do this. And again, how, how do you factor in all these different things? What, what if you have somebody who has the underlying health condition, but who's already had COVID and recovered from it and has the antibodies. Do they get to skip ahead in, in line? Because they, they've, they've already had it. Now, obviously, that person should get the shot at some point in time, but is it as important for them to get the shot as otherwise? I, I just bring this out because we're picking winners and, and losers, and there's always going to be some people that are left behind. But this trying to decide, okay, this is a sufficient underlying condition, this isn't, you get to jump ahead. To me, it would have just been so much simpler, so much better, and so much fairer if after we went through the categories that we all agree on, you just started finding some objective things based on age. Now, hopefully, the president will be right. Hopefully, Operation Warp Speed is going to continue to develop, and hopefully we will be swimming in vaccine in the next month or so so we don't have to continue to have these different arguments. But until then, the way we're going about deciding this, to me, makes little sense. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Hey, an update on a story we talked about last week. Uh, the coach for the Creighton's men bas- men's basketball team, his name is Greg McDermott, found himself caught up, I, I think, very unfairly in the-, the cancel culture. For those of you who aren't familiar with the story, he he the- his team loses to Xavier. And and by the way, he's he's a, apparently a really good guy. I mean, there, there's this isn't a situation where anybody thinks that he's a, a a closet racist or a bad guy. So his team loses to, to Xavier, and afterwards he, he's giving the locker room pep talk thing, and 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 he's trying to tell the team, hey, we we've got to we've got to stick together. And I understand this is a really tough loss, but we, we 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 have to stay together as a team. And then he says something like, we've got to stay on the plantation. That that's the phrase now. I, I think he's mixing his metaphors. I, I don't know, but he just it, nobody had ever heard of this. It's it's not even like this is a phrase. It's just I think he's reaching for words, and he says we've got to stay on the plantation. Now, you you obviously you have a, a team that has lots of African American you know players, lots of black players on it, and the word gets out that hey, he he used the reference stay on the plantation, and then there, there's this huge conversation. I had people texting me saying he should be fired. He should never work again. To which I thought it was just crazy. It's not like he had made an intention. I, I think you have to look at intent. And clearly he misspoke. I don't even know what he was necessarily trying to say. He's just grabbing for words and he grabs the word plantation. I, I, but yet you had people who were demanding that he be fired. Creighton swoops in. They suspend him. And there was a question about what was going to happen. Well, as it turns out, they've now lifted the suspension. He was suspended for one game for this remark. He has apologized. As a matter of fact, he apologized right away. He said, I just, I, I didn't intend to offend anybody. It was just the word I grabbed. I, I think clearly 
returning him to his coaching position is the right thing to do. But this this is really the underlying issue with the whole cancel culture that's out there that doesn't care about intent and that looks at a situation like this, a guy who's apparently you know, no, no track record, nobody argues that he's a racist or anything like that, and in the heat of the moment, you misspeak, and that's clearly what this is, and yet, you know, that, that could potentially cost you your livelihood. This is the danger that's out there, and it's the question of where where does this, in fact, end? In any event, the Creighton coach has now been reinstated. That's a good thing. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. I, I don't mean to kid around about this because I know if you're stuck in this, it's, it's a mess. Here, here's the bottom line, and we'll continue to keep you updated. But if you if you want to go northbound on I-43, uh don't if if you're south of North Avenue. Uh, law enforcement has shut down the northbound lanes of I-43 at North Avenue after a report of shots being fired. Uh, the, the shutdown occurred shortly after 1 p.m. They're saying they think it's going to last until at least 2 p.m. And I, I I can't tell how far south the shutdown goes. I mean I can't I don't know how far back it goes. But if if you if you are if you need to go from the city north. Or you're coming through the city and you need to go north, you got to get off the freeway and you got to figure out an alternate route because it's it's just flat out not moving. It, it's not like there's one lane open. It's completely shut down. And although I can't see it from the film, uh, what I'm looking at right now, what I, what typically happens is if there's reports of shots fired, you have deputies that are out there and then they're walking the freeway. They're looking for shell casings, evidence, things like that. So. Uh, Hopefully, this will be better sooner rather than later, but it's not going anywhere, at least in the immediate future. If you're stuck in there, I know it's incredibly frustrating, so get off the freeway because otherwise you will continue to add to the traffic jam, and we will keep you updated about what's going on. The good news is that this was a report of a shooting. I don't know where they got it. No injuries have been reported as of yet, so that that's, I guess, the, the good news about this. All right, let us switch gears. For the four years of the Trump administration, immigration was a huge issue. It was a hot-button issue. Joe Biden has, in my opinion, lost control of the border, and we need to... We need to close the border again before the problem gets dramatically worse. Am I wrong? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, here, here's what's going on. In January... Just to give you an idea, border agents encountered a, a, a migrant at the border about 78,000 times in January. That's more than double the rate of a same time a year ago, and it's more and it's higher than any January in a decade. The, the numbers are supposed to come out this week for February, but immigration authorities are expected to announce that there were close to 100,000 apprehensions in February. Plus, um, they say that in just the first week of March, an additional 19,000 migrants, including adults and children, have been caught by border agents since March 1st. And what you're seeing is this huge explosion of people who are now pouring through Mexico, pouring across the border, because they know they can. You're having unattended kids that are coming through, 
and they're being essentially they're they're not being held in cages. Biden doesn't want to do that. They're going to be dispersed into the the country. You have uh, families that are coming through. You have large groups of people that are coming through. There is a certain percentage. I was looking at one of the reports this morning that estimates that coming through Brownsville, people apprehended about six percent have COVID. And they're coming in and they're now just being dispersed into the country. The borders are are out of control. And the ongoing discussion in the Biden administration is either do something or don't do something. And right now, I think the don't do something forces are winning. The people who say, okay, well, look, this is the Statue of Liberty. Give us your, you know, whatever. Let people come on in. We can't be like Trump. We can't close off the border. I think that that's crazy. I don't think there's any industrialized country that could put up with simply allowing hundreds of thousands of people to, with no consequence, stream across the border. Where are the resources going to come to support them? Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The Biden administration clearly is caught. I think they know, Joe Biden knows you can't do this, but he's under incredible pressure from some of his allies in Congress to, to not crack down on the border. Can we simply allow the borders to be open? Can we allow people to come in and come into the United States in large, large numbers with no consequences? Because that's what we're looking at right now. 855-616-1620. That's the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. My answer would be absolutely not. Let's discuss. I mean, the argument is, hey, it's a humanitarian crisis. If people are fleeing poor conditions in Central America or in Mexico, they should be able to come across the borders and we'll just have to figure out a way to deal with them. Well, explain to me how we're going to deal with them. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I I, I don't know that the answer is like building the wall, but the answer is turning people away at the border. The answer is sending people back. The answer is not just allowing tens of thousands of people to stream in month after month after month. We discuss. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, if what was going on today down at the border was going on a year ago when Donald Trump was in office. This would be the lead story on every newscast. But because it's it's Joe Biden instead of Donald Trump, we are ignoring the fact that the borders are being overwhelmed now by a new by a new influx of people coming into this country illegally because they recognize that there's not going to be the consequences that there were during the Trump administration. And what's even more frustrating is you have a lot of people who just seem to think that, well, all right, we, we we should not say no. We shouldn't close the borders down. If you've got somebody who's coming through Central America or through Mexico and they want to come into the United States, what's the big deal? Why don't we let them in? And the answer is it's a big deal because this country cannot support the influx of what was the number? Ten, they think they're going to announce 10,000 people in, in February over 8,000 in January. 
9,000 people arrested just in the first seven or eight days of, of March. The numbers are getting bigger and, and bigger. And the Biden administration apparently has no plan with dealing for this. Jeff, a successful and safe nation must have secure and organized borders. I'm all for humane treatment of people, but how does this benefit our nation by opening the borders like this? Is the goal to overwhelm the system? Well, the system's already overwhelmed. Are more immigrant votes worth this? Where does it end and where is the red line? Well, that's see, that's it. I have been somebody. One of the big disappointments I have when President Trump was first elected and you had the Republicans control of Congress was that we couldn't get meaningful immigration reform. If you take the number that there are and that's the number that's being thrown around. I, I don't know. I don't know if it's accurate, but the number you hear is 11 million people in this country illegally at this point in time. Now, some people think that it's actually closer to 20 or 30 million. I I don't know what the number is. But if we say we want to figure out a path to, if not citizenship, at least somewhat legal residency, say for the dreamers and people like that. Well, you, you can't, at least in my opinion, you can't do that until you have control of the borders because you can't simply say, okay, we're going to figure out a way to uh, allow 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 million, whatever the number is, people who have come into this country illegally stay in this country. At the same time, if you're allowing you know, tens of thousands of people on a regular basis to come you know, pouring through because sooner or later you overwhelm the system. And I understand here in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, it's maybe a a theory, a theoretical sort of thing. But, you know, you, you live, you live in, in Texas. You know, you live in Arizona. And, and it's it's a daily basis where you see people streaming across the borders in large groups, imposing, you know, providing problems for the social welfare system, for the school system, etc. Um, Jeff, the Biden administration has no plan for anything. Well, I don't think they have a plan for this. Jeff, let people come. The country will go into the toilet. This is something that will be owned by the Democrats. Well, I, I don't know. Maybe they'll own it. Maybe they won't. But you have to have some sort sort of plan. And this was completely and totally foreseeable because everybody, I think, knew that once the Biden administration took over, they would be they would just say, OK, we're going to be the anti-Trump people. We're not going to build the wall, which is which is fine. But also we're we're not going to turn people away. We're, we're not going to have those children in cages or anything like that, which is like a green light here. Send anybody that wants um, to come here. Um, Jeff, how many of the people coming across would be willing to assimilate and become legal citizens? If they're willing to follow our laws and pay taxes, I'd be a little more open to it. That said, I don't think that most are looking for that. This is just the path of least resistance. Jeff, even as a lifelong Democrat, I did agree with President Trump's position on both China and the border. Tough on China and tight on the border, in my mind, are absolutes there. Jeff, um, what is your answer? The campaign promise was to build the wall and Mexico would pay for it. It didn't and it won't happen. Um, Jeff, your answer. Well, the I, I always thought that the thing about the wall w- was was silly. Because uh, that, that's not how you deal with the immigration thing. I always thought if you want to treat the wall as a metaphor for increased border surveillance and let's take advantage of technology and things like that. But, yeah, but as far as border control and not 
just allowing people to stream into this country at the rate of, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands a month. Yeah, I mean, to me, that that only makes sense. You wouldn't be able to do it in other places as well. Jeff, in general, I agree with you. The smart butt side of me, though, wants to remind you that those of us who call ourselves Americans now got into this country because our ancestors did the same thing that they are doing. Okay, but it's a different time. You know, it's yes, you're, you're right. The pilgrims came over in 16, you know, whatever. And and yes, I, I understand that there weren't immigration rules at the time. But as we frequently say, I mean, this, this isn't the 1600s anymore. And what you have is a situation where, you know, you have um, where, where again, you, you have, you know, situations where. What we're faced with, you know, now is different concerns. You have rules. You have you have to have some degree of order. And the Biden administration just doesn't have a clue as to how to, you know, deal with this situation. Now, somebody's saying, well, you're looking at those January numbers and, and Biden was only the president for the last 10 days. Well, l- let's understand what happened once Biden got elected. The general sense was, hey, it's Katie bar the door because we know that there's going to be a difference. And for people who think that, well, we, we shouldn't control our borders, fine, go go move to Texas for a little while and see what it's like along the border. Talk to people in some of these border communities and understand what an impact this is. Look, if we want to have the president succeed, what, what he's got to do is recognize that there is a major problem here. And that might mean standing up to some of his constituencies and saying, this, this cannot continue. And if it means being a little bit like Donald Trump, well, maybe this is a situation where, in this case, Joe Biden would benefit from being a little more like Donald Trump. Back with more in just a minute. And this is Jeff Wagner. So glad to have you with us. Hey, coming up in the next hour of the program, a, a Sussex teenager is fighting the state. It's a really interesting story. I'll share it with you. And then when we go back to restaurants, if you haven't already, will there be a sea change in how we pay for things? I'll explain the story. It's actually pretty fascinating. Um, one final text here. Jeff, th- this is crazy. American people have all these restrictions, yet the Democrats let illegal immigrants roam freely in our country with COVID. That, that is, that, that is things. People who are coming across the, the borders ha- have the numbers I was looking at in the story, like I say, it said 6% that came in through Brownsville, you know, had COVID. All right, so th- then th- they get dispersed, you know, out throughout the throughout the the community and throughout the country. All right, so th- that's all well and good, but where is the concern? You know, we have all these restrictions in place. I was looking at a story in the paper today about how I know some people are bent out of shape that they had some rap concert that was at a at a bar in West Bend, and there were people who showed up for the rap concert who weren't wearing masks, and oh, this is, this is kind of terrible. So we, we get all worked up over that, and I take no position on whether you should be going to rap concerts or whether you should be wearing masks if you go to the rap concert, but you know we get all worked up over that, and oh, we've got thousands of people who are coming in, many of whom on a regular basis illegally, many of whom probably are ill, and, you know, we're, we're just not worried about that. It just, it, it makes your head want to explode. Uh, there's, there's, there's an actually, and just an unrelated matter, there's an interesting story in the LA Times, but it, it, it got me thinking. There are many urban school districts across the country that have not been in session for in-person schooling. MPS would be an example. I don't think the Madison School District has been back. L.A. 
it was just a, it was a huge struggle in Chicago. I think they're finally starting to go back, despite the fact that the CDC says teachers can be in the classrooms without having been vaccinated. The teachers don't want to go back. All right, and, that, and that's the that's the issue that's out there. And by the way, I know that in a lot of different school districts, it has been in-person learning. But I'm talking about the ones where the teachers have been refusing to go back and the teachers' unions have been refusing to go back because they think it presents an unreasonable risk. Now, I don't buy that, but that's the argument that's there. I, I was thinking about this story. When I saw this story this morning, I was thinking about how I was in... I was in a walking through a restaurant not that long ago and sitting at the bar without masks because you, you can't sit at a bar and eat or drink were a couple people that I recognized as school teachers from an urban school district where they have not been in school. All right. They, they've been teaching remotely or, or whatever. And I, I just remember thinking, huh, this is kind of interesting because it's unsafe to be back in a classroom. But it, it's safe to be, you know, sitting at the bar and, and having a drink. Oh, okay, that's just kind of the way it is. Well, here's the headline in the L.A. Times today. L.A. teachers warned not to share vacation pictures as union seeks a safe return to the classroom. Okay, so the, the teachers union members voted overwhelmingly to reject the demand to return to the classroom. So they're saying, no, we don't, we don't feel it's safe to go back to the classroom. So here's the, here, here's the deal. Well, even though they're going to be teaching remotely, there's still spring break. And you know what's going to happen? A lot of the teachers who don't feel safe going back in the classroom, they're going on spring break. So the, the union has apparently sent out this thing saying, don't post vacation pictures on social media. So not don't go because it's too dangerous. But if you go, don't take pictures of yourself because it could hurt our argument that it's unsafe to return to the classroom, according to this thing that they posted. Friendly reminder, if you are planning any trips for spring break, please keep that off social media. It's hard to argue that it's unsafe for in-person instructions if parents in the public see vacation photos and international travel. At so interesting. The union's not saying don't do it because it's not safe. The union's saying go ahead and do it, but don't take pictures of this because it's going to hurt our argument that it's okay for you to go to Cabo and hang out in bars or crowded beaches, but you can't be back in the classroom. Talk about making your head want to explode. I'll send out a link to this on my Twitter account. You can follow me on Twitter at Jeff Wagner 620. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So, Melissa, if we're looking at the same traffic camera. It looks like they're now forcing all the traffic off at North Avenue. But that's what it looks like, according to 511, 511, the traffic right. cams. Yeah, it looks like they're being directed to go but, but it, it's to the crawling. right-hand So you, you, oh. had, you had three or four lanes of traffic mm-hmm. that were full, and now they're, they're diverting them all to one lane. And if anybody knows that area... Once you get off the freeway at North Avenue, there's really nowhere to go. There's nowhere I, I mean, to go. I mean, it, you, you've got you've got you got traffic lights, mm-hmm. and you've got you can you can try to get onto I think it's Port Washington Road and go back and try to go north, but it, it's and that's it, the section where it goes down an extra lane, right? It goes from yes. four to three, right? It, it's, so, it's right. It's just, it's just after that, yeah, yeah. So that's why we see all this mess. So they're they're finally cars are moving, but they're not moving forward on the freeway. They're slowly diverting people off, off, the, the, freeway, off the freeway. Yeah, which, it looks like right at North Avenue. 
you know, and again, this is for reports of shots fired. It, it is just it, no no injuries reported or anything like that. We and, don't know and, anything and, but yet. Yeah. It, it is one of these things that you have. I mean, you just want to mess up somebody's day. Exactly. Somebody with, seriously, somebody did it with a gun, yep, just fire, to, fires a shot, mm-hmm. and now you've got the freeway has been closed for an hour. It's hour over an hour. Over an hour now, like, about hour 15. And obviously, again, I'm, I'm not one of the people that are out there, but the fact that they're making the decision now to funnel everybody off at North Avenue tells me that, there's not a plan in the next five minutes, for example, to immediately open up the freeway. Yeah, it's one of those frustrating things. You just got to wait, wait on the freeway until they direct you um, to a different exit or things right. start moving a little bit. So once again, we cannot stress enough. If you don't believe anything else you hear on this program today, believe it when I say and my dear friend Melissa Barkley say you want no part of I-43 northbound south of North Avenue right now That's because correct. you you can't get there so yeah if, if you've got to go from downtown to Cedarburg and you're thinking hey I just jump on I-43 it ain't happening don't do <laughs> it know? don't do it any other route is better than this one right. at and this I, point. And I, I have no idea what those other routes <laughs> look like either but but right now this is not working and, and again uh, you know GPS usually if you have that on it will reroute you a certain direction if there's a major traffic problem so just don't even go yeah late lake, lake drive mm-hmm. city streets whatever you might find and my guess is again even even if you were in those areas just nearby some of the the north south side streets just nearby the freeway my guess is they're just an absolute nightmare as well given all this traffic but we will continue to keep you updated okay melissa before you leave yeah you you are you are a baker we every every week you have Mm -hmm. all these different situations that are out there okay and so when, when you bake things you actually, even though I don't think I've ever gotten any of this, I, you've been known to like bring, bring the, these in and share them. I do, yes. right? All right, mm-hmm. yeah. share those stuff. Okay, when you bring this stuff in and you share it, are you ever concerned that you might be, say, poisoning your coworkers? No. <laughs> you know, that's I I don't. That doesn't even right. doesn't even cross my mind. And everybody knows me here and it's four people you know the afternoon show so right yeah, no so, I, so, I, I don't no, but, have but but you also i mean you don't have a commercial grade kitchen or anything right. like that right no you no, just just normal kitchen you're, you're, you've got a normal kitchen and you've got these recipes and you're you make stuff and people enjoy it and yeah. to your knowledge nobody you have no you haven't killed anybody yet I have right not killed anybody and i think they would let me know if they right you know if now, they were feeling bad if if as a condition of being able to bring that food in and share it, mm-hmm. if you had to rent a commercial com- kitchen for more than $1,000 a month and obtain a commercial food license, which can cost between forty and 80000 bucks, my guess is that the afternoon show would be cut off from, from like Melissa's treats. That's true. All right. Okay. I would say. Yeah, I mean, you're... This is kind of just my own. I bring, you know, little samples in, and it's a nice little treat every other week. Well, exactly. Mm -hmm. Well, I I appreciate Mm -hmm. that perspective, because there's a story in the Journal Sentinel today that talks about a a teenager from from Sussex who finds herself in a lawsuit with 300 other bakers trying to fight the Wisconsin Bakers Association. She is right. The Wisconsin Bakers Association is wrong, and the Department of Agriculture, Trade, and Consumer Protection needs to start standing up for the little guy. I will explain. We will discuss. Stick around. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 
Okay, let me be real clear here. In my opinion, this teenager is getting shafted. Over 300 other home bakers in Wisconsin are getting shafted. The Wisconsin Bakers Association, which is trying to, I get it, protect commercial bakeries and and require, doesn't want the competition from home bakers, even though I can't imagine it's that much competition. What they're trying to do is, I, I think, force some of these home bakers out of business. Let me give you a little bit of the background on this, and then we're going to discuss. In in 2017, a group of home bakers out in Lafayette County filed a lawsuit and won the suit, arguing that they should have the right to sell the stuff that they make, right? And the court agreed with them. But there were a couple conditions in this, because normally, you know, if you're going to sell, like, baked goods and stuff, you need to have a license. You need to operate out of a commercial kitchen, and that effectively you know, puts the small bakers out of business. You know, you're, you're not going to be able to, you know, do stuff that you subsequently sell at, that you subsequently sell if you got to pay forty to $80,000 for a license. And a lot of these home bakers felt that it was unfair. So the, the court agreed with them. And this was supposed to be the end of it. But here's the, the deal. Apparently, the State Department of Agriculture and pushed on by the Wisconsin Bakers Association, is trying to clamp down on some of these small home bakers by using what they're claiming is a technicality. Now, under under the law, you're, you're, again, allowed to, for a limited purpose, you know, make stuff at home and then subsequently sell it, as long as you keep the, as long as you're not selling, you know, like, tens of thousands of dollars worth of merchandise, etc. Obviously, there is an issue, there's a health issue. And so the rules say that as long as the baked good doesn't have to be refrigerated, you can go and go ahead and sell it. All right. So here you have the the example that the Journal Sentinel has. You have the, this teenager. Okay, she's the owner of Miss E's Sweet Treats. She makes macaroons, you know, kind of like the cookie thing and stuff. Well, the Wisconsin Bakers Association sent her a a cease and desist order arguing that what she's doing is illegal because some of the ingredients she uses are potentially hazardous. Well, why could this be? Well, the question is, does something need to be refrigerated or not? If it needs to be refrigerated, then as a home baker, you you can't sell it. You have to have the license because if it's not refrigerated, it goes bad. But there's a lot of stuff out there that is what they call shelf-stable. In in other words, it depends on the precise ingredient you use, and it depends how much of the ingredient that you, you use to determine whether it needs to be refrigerated or not. Now, apparently, according to this lawsuit, the state and the Wisconsin Bakers Association that doesn't want the competition from these home bakers, they're saying that if you use ingredients that need to be refrigerated, well, that means that you shouldn't be able to sell the whole thing. Now, in her case, she makes these macaroons, and she uses it with, she apparently makes them with certain products that, okay, if you just had the product itself, it would need to be refrigerated. But once you mix it in with all these things, it doesn't need to be refrigerated. For example, the lawsuit that they filed says that products that are considered shelf-stable, that's food that can be unrefrigerated, uh, includes homemade chocolate, fudge, candy, granola, donuts, all those things, which, by the way, you know, I mean, you know, you go to a grocery store, you're, you're, 
you know, you're, you don't refrigerate donuts, you don't refrigerate chocolate, you don't refrigerate fudge, etc., etc., because the combination of the ingredients they use, even though some of the ingredients in a raw form might need to be refrigerated, once you mix them all in, they're shelf-stable. So anyhow, what's happening now is you have the Wisconsin Bakers Association and some of these other groups that are trying to put these small businesses out of business, say, no, you're, you're not allowed to do this because you could be putting people at risk because even though, even though the finished product is shelf-stable, you use some ingredients that are supposed to be refrigerated, so that makes them dangerous. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, I don't want anybody poisoning people, but, but these rules are so antiquated and so... I, I think obscure and so ill-considered that they, they really f- they need to be changed. And there's no reason if you run a bed and breakfast, for example, and you don't have an industrial grade kitchen, and you can make blueberry muffins and serve them to the guests. If you can make stuff that you take to the high school bake sale when they had high school bake sales, why is it that you shouldn't be able to? I mean, sell those same products. Either it's safe or it's not safe. And if in the final, if once the final product doesn't need to be refrigerated, well, then it seems to me that you should be able to sell it if you've made it at your kitchen. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. We discuss. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, I mean, here, here's the way this works: that the law essentially says that you know any homemade baked good can be sold directly to a consumer as long as it's shelf stable. And that means that it doesn't have to be refrigerated. And that includes macaroons, in this case, which is a homemade baked good, as long as the macaroon is shelf-stable. Now, what's happening here is you have the Wisconsin Bakers Association, which is trying to crack down. They don't want the competition. So what they're saying is, well, if if any of the ingredients needed to be refrigerated, then you can't include them. Well, okay, well, maybe the thing needs to be refrigerated in the beginning, but then, and I'm not a baker, but you mix it in, it becomes... Self, it becomes um, self-stable, so then it no longer needs to be refrigerated. And when I go into grocery stores, I don't see donuts being refrigerated. I don't see cookies being refrigerated. I don't see fudge being refrigerated. I don't see candy being refrigerated as a general rule. But yet, we're trying to do this to crack down on some of these little homemade bakers, which candidly, look, if, if you want to encourage people to get into the industry, I think this is the way to do it. Gianni in Montello. Gianni, hello. Yes, good afternoon, Jeff. Um, hey, listen, I, I'm up here in, in Amish country in, in, in Marquette County, and we, we have a lot of Amish, and I, I, I buy eggs from them, and I buy their pies and their breads and uh, their cookies and that. And I, I think you have to differentiate um, be, between uh, products that, you know, combine milk and eggs, you know, uh, for, for example, custards and, and that. Mm-hmm. Um, when you, but, well, that. That's dangerous stuff. Um, you know, potato salad, and that, that's one thing that, you know, all that has to be refrigerated. But when you're talking just about muffins or right. cookies or pies, they're highly acidic. You know, in the case of, uh, you know, fruit pies in that, um, or cookies or muffins. I mean, my goodness, 
Um, this is the, the Bakers Association is, is really overstepping their bounds here. If you want to grow the bakers, uh, the number of bakers in Wisconsin, and baking isn't isn't an easy job. It's a lot of work baking breads and muffins, and but uh, they they need to back off. A well, bit. see, and I, I to me the the question is: Is it shelf stable or not? Does it need to be refrigerated as an end product? If it does, I understand that's a whole different sort of story. But if it's something that by the time you you take the ingredients and you mix them in and you bake them or whatever, and it then becomes shelf shelf stable and it doesn't need to be refrigerated. As far as I'm concerned, that should be the end of the story. Now, a couple people are sending me texts saying, well, you know, don't you have any concerns about cleanliness and things like that? Well, that's a whole different story. Now, I, I understand why some people may not feel comfortable purchasing home-baked goods. Okay, I, I get it. That That's a whole different story. And if, for example, you feel much more comfortable going to the grocery store and, and buying your macaroons or buying your brownies or buying, you know, your whatever from from a place that you know has been produced by a commercial bakery, I respect that. I, I, I'm, that, that makes sense to me. I, I get it because then you have that extra level of, of, sec- of security. But on the other hand, if the, the neighborhood teenager – um, has the, her own little business, and with the emphasis on little business, where she makes cookies and candies and stuff, and you've been eating them for the last couple years, and you want to support her, and you decide, hey, I, I've been doing this, I, I understand the conditions that this is made, and I'm willing to take the risk, I don't think that the state should be telling you that you can't. And, and by the way, I'm at least not aware of any sort of like widespread outbreaks. I mean, like any enormous number of people getting sick because, for example, this girl makes her macaroons and then, you know, you have a bunch of neighbors that might buy them and and might eat them. Just like I'm not aware of too many people getting sick from, again, buying cookies, chocolate chip cookies or whatever at at the area bake sales and things like that. There has to be a balancing act that's out there. And this effort to try to shut down some of these small home bakers that really don't pose, I think, a competitive uh, threat to, number one, the Bakers Association, and number two, don't really provide a health threat to the general community. I think he's got to be able to move on. When we come back, we'll find out what John and Melissa and Greg have on their minds for Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Stick around.